Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Our first lesson for this sixth Sunday of Easter is found recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at the 22nd verse. These words do serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. Then Paul stood up in front of the council of the the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way, for as I was walking around and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar on which had been inscribed to an unknown God. Now what you worship is unknown. This is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made but with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as if he needed anything since he himself gives all people life and breath and everything they have. From one man he made every nation of mankind to live over the entire face of the earth. He determined the appointed times and the boundaries where they would live. He did this so that they would seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of our own prophets have said. Indeed, we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and planning. Although God overlooked the times of ignorance, he is now commanding all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he appointed. He provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at the 13th verse. Who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you should happen to suffer because of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of what they fear, or do not be troubled, but regard the Lord The Christ is holy in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you. But speak with gentleness and respect while maintaining a clear conscience so that those who attack your good way of life in Christ may be put to shame because they slandered you as evildoers. Indeed, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, because Christ also suffered once for sins in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in flesh, but was made alive in spirit, in which you also went and made an announcement to the saints in prison, 
These spirits disobeyed long ago when God's patience was waiting in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In this ark, a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. And corresponding to that, baptism now, now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the guarantee of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He went to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning at the 15th verse. These are Jesus' words to his disciples in the upper room on Monday, Thursday, the day before he would die on the cross for the sins of the world. If you love me, hold on to my commands. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You know him because he stays with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you in a little while, while the world will see me no longer, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. The one who has my commands and holds on to them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love him and show myself to him. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. And from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at the 22nd verse. I open with these words. Then Paul stood up in front of the council of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking around and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar on which had been inscribed to an unknown God. Now what you worship as unknown, that is what I'm going to proclaim to you. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and heirs of everlasting life, you can listen to a debate or an argument and not even know what the subject is and you can tell immediately who's losing the debate. And it could be that the person who's losing the debate is probably right on. What they're saying is what needs to be said and heard. But as soon as they do this, you know that they've lost the debate. And that is when they start name-calling. And that is what happened to the Apostle Paul. When he was in Athens, he was debating, oh, at the heart of Greek philosophy and philosophers, he was debating with some of these people who we know and heard about even today. We hear about the Epicureans with their philosophy that there is no afterlife, that therefore the purpose of this life is to eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And then there was the Stoics, who had a dedication to duty. And here's the Apostle Paul, 
probably looks like a nobody coming in and telling them about Jesus and the resurrection, and they were going to have none of it. In fact, in their debate and discussion with him, yes, they started name-calling. And here was the name that they came up for him. They called him literally in the original language, the seed picker. They treated him like he was some bird jumping around picking up seeds. and In other words, seeds of knowledge. And he's just coming up with stuff that he came out of his head. He's just simply a scavenger, a babbler when it comes to philosophy. Even though they're making fun of him, the good news was God used it for a greater good. For the Apostle Paul, in the light of all his debating, was asked to go to the next day to the Areopagus, and that was where the councilmen met who oversaw culture, education, and religion. And they asked Paul to declare his religion. They wanted to hear more about it. Now, Paul is not coming in before a group of men and people that were Jews. These were Gentiles, non-Jews. If he was preaching and teaching to Jews, well, then he would bring up the Old Testament because they would be familiar with the Old Testament Bible. Even Peter did that at Pentecost when he got up and even quoted scripture and showed how scripture is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if you recall, 3,000 were baptized that day. Even Jesus himself, after he rose from the dead, we constantly hear he opened the scriptures to them, showed them how he fulfilled all those Old Testament prophecies. But now he's talking to people who don't know the Bible, probably have never seen the Bible, know nothing about it. Maybe they'll pick up on some hearsay stuff, but pretty much ignorant. Well, how is he going to witness to them? Well, the first thing he says is not how foolish and, and dumb and pitiful you people are. Well, that never wins over people in order to witness to them. Instead, he made the comment, you are very religious. And they were. They had all kinds of statue and, and objects of worship. They had all kinds of altars in the area and all around town and, and even temples that were built. All to their various gods. And he finds an altar to a god with the inscription to the unknown god. These people were so religious, they were actually superstitious. Superstitious to the point where they didn't want to offend any god out there in case they missed one. They would just have an altar and, and worship and pray to him. But since they didn't have a name for him, they covered their bases by saying to an unknown god. What can we say about such religion except how do you worship something you don't even know and call it something you know? It's irrational. It's unreasonable. There's nothing logical about that. So the Apostle Paul is going to set the people straight. When you call unknown, I'm here to make known. And what does he appeal to them concerning when it comes to God, but nature itself? 
This is the God who made the heavens and the earth. This is the Lord of all. And we know that he made from the Holy Scriptures that he made the entire earth in six 24-hour days by his almighty power. He said, let there be, and there was. He created out of nothing. And then he didn't stop there. He actually, on this world, planted life and gave breath and life even to human beings. In fact, Adam and Eve would be the last thing that would be made because the whole world was given to them. He told them to rule it. This was God's tremendous blessings to mankind. And besides all that, he even guided from one man, Adam, the whole world would come. And he would guide where they would go. He would watch over their lives. He was directly involved in everything is, that has happened. He's not a God that simply made everything and leaves man to his own fate saying, good luck, I hope you make it at the end. No, he's a God that is with us always to the very end of the age. And therefore, even though he scattered the people all over the world, and that produced many different nations and, and cultures, keep in mind that in light of all the different cultures, there is only one race. It's the human race. Because we all come from Adam. Even Eve came from Adam. She was made from Adam's rib. So what makes this God different, the one true God, different from all these other false gods, is all these false gods were designed by human beings. They even created little gold and silver statues and, and worshipped and prayed to them that they were the ones that created them, even though they created the statue. Again, foolishness. But the one true God is not a figment of man's imagination. And nor is he simply served by man as if he needs man in order to gain power and authority. That was very popular in the Greek philosophy and culture. That the gods needed your prayers. Otherwise they would become weaker and weaker and pitiful. And above all, the one true God doesn't need a temple. One of the most beautiful temples at the time, which Paul would have saw in all its glory, was the Parthenon. We get to visit the remnants of it today. Paul saw it. It was dedicated to a virgin goddess called Athena, after which the city is called. This is not the one true God. God doesn't need a temple. God doesn't need human beings. He created human beings. And why did he do this? He makes very clear here. He did this for the purpose that they would seek God and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. That the purpose of this life is to certainly prepare for the life to come, but the purpose of this life also includes knowing the one true God and knowing that only in that one true God have we been made and saved. This Lord of all is also the Savior of all. My friends, God has blessed us with two types of knowledge. We speak about this in catechism class all the time. 
One kind of knowledge is what's called natural knowledge. Another called is revealed knowledge or written knowledge. The natural knowledge has the word nature in it, and that's exactly what it is. We can learn some things from God, knowing that God created everything. We can know that from very nature itself that God is wise and that he's definitely all-powerful, especially since he created everything out of nothing. And besides all that, a very loving God since he blessed us with this entire world. And then we also have, as part of our natural knowledge, the knowledge that God has planted in us. It's not a complete knowledge, but it is a basic knowledge of right and wrong. Our conscience uses it. And that's why we can easily feel guilty for things. And of course, you can sin against that conscience and, and ignore that guilt. But it's a basic right and wrong. And even our conscience, that natural knowledge that's been planted in us, is a knowledge that tells us that we have a holy God who hates sin. That's why we feel guilty of our sins. And we know that this is a God, since he hates sin, is a God who punishes sin. We can learn this just from the natural knowledge. But the problem is, is the natural knowledge is not a complete knowledge. Because the natural knowledge does not tell us who God is, who the true God is, and it doesn't tell us how we're saved by him. And that's where God brought us the revealed knowledge, the written knowledge. That knowledge, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible does tell us who the true God is. He is the triune God, one God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know how we're saved by him. It is God who saved us. It is the very Son of God who took on human flesh, lived that perfect life we could not live, suffered on the cross, suffered the punishment of sin that we cannot suffer and live. But he did it for us. And then rose again as proof that sin has been paid for and heaven is our home. The written word. And because of this, we're not saved by our natural knowledge. Our natural knowledge helps us to go seek out the one true God, knowing that there's a God that i got to learn more about. But it cannot save me. Only the revealed word, the written word, can save. Because only that proclaims who God is and what God has done for us. That's why I cannot emphasize enough the importance of being in that holy word and taking God's word to heart and letting God's word speak for itself. This is why I will continually say over and over, like a broken record, don't follow what you think it says. Follow what it actually does say. Cling to that word. Because it is the word of life, this very word of God, coming from a God who made everything. What I find amazing out of all of this is the fact that the Apostle Paul was daring enough to even quote their prophet or their poets at the time. Notice he, he's not quoting scripture because they don't know scripture, but he will quote their poets and some of their poets say, for in him we live and move and have our being. In him, that's singular. They're speaking about one God. 
And then he quotes another prophet who says, indeed, we are his offspring. And Paul does not disagree with that. You have all these other gods, but even over the years, your poets didn't always agree with that. And because there is only one true God, this time of ignorance is over. In very strong words, the Apostle Paul says to these men who are listening to him, God has commanded for you to repent. Not just simply sorry for your sins and your ignorance and your foolish thinking. But remember what's at the heart of repentance, it's faith. Faith in the divine truth. And the truth, the way, and the life is Jesus Christ. It's time to believe in the one true God. It is time to believe in the Lord Jesus who has saved you all and saved you eternally. And now is the time to repent because the day is coming when the Lord will bring the last day. It will be judgment day for this very Savior will also be your judge. If you reject him in unbelief, that's the Lord you face on the last day. For all who come to faith in him, you're facing the very Savior who you know gave his life for you and the very one who will take you to the glories of heaven with all believers. And how do you know Jesus is the one who's going to be that judge? Paul brings up his resurrection. By the way, as soon as the people heard about the resurrection, they were done with Paul. They basically kicked him out. People were starting to get up and leave. They weren't going to listen to this guy about Jesus and resurrection. He's full of it. What our text, that's not part of our text, but the words after our text goes on to say that some of the prominent people did come to faith. In fact, we're aware, and he's, his name is even given, of one prominent member on the council who actually came to faith in Jesus Christ and listened to Paul tell about this wonderful Savior even more. Yes, it's name-calling to call Paul a seed picker. But it's not name-calling to call Paul a seed planter. He planted that seed of faith, faith that clings to the very written and revealed word of God, the Holy Scriptures, knowing that at the heart of the Holy Scriptures is the message of Jesus Christ. And on this day, that many of you are gathering together as well, this Mother's Day, keep in mind that God-fearing mothers and that good Christian mothers, who they really are, to their children they must be seed planters. It is a horrifying thing for mothers and really fathers as well to bring up their children to be spoiled brats, to, to be simply ones who let their children do whatever they want. Oh, I cannot emphasize enough, dear Christian mothers, to not bring up your children to be spoiled brats, to give them whatever they want. Oh, 
to think that that when they're kicking and screaming and throwing a fit, well, we'll just play the game of ignoring it and hope it goes away. Dear Christian mothers, teach your children right from wrong. They're not born knowing it, so don't think they are. And along with it, have them respect their elders, knowing who God's representatives are in the home, in the community, and in the church. And above all, plant that seed of faith that they may know who, who their precious Savior is. And it is Jesus Christ and him alone. Let them know who the triune God is. Let them know that it was the Father who sent the Son, the Son who gave his life for the sins of the world, the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts, that Counselor who, who calls us to faith and, and strengthen us, strengthens us in that one true faith. This is why we give God all the credit and the glory when it comes to our salvation. Dear Christian mothers, and really all of us, be whom God has called you to be. Seed planters, or another way to put it, make known, and especially to your family, make known the unknown God. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.